referring to guarding, protecting. It's an expression of great confidence in God's power and God's love to preserve his people. He is able to keep you from stumbling. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And you see this Greek word as it is used. And we'll look at verses 1 through 3. Excuse me. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. This is the word that Jude uses for keeping guarding that he's going to guard us he's going to watch over that now let's turn to the book of John here again best commentary on scripture is scripture itself we'll start in John chapter 6 and look at three different references within John's gospel account verses 37 through 40 This is within the context of Jesus talking about, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. The beautiful picture in terms of the Lord coming to save those whom the Father has given to him, and that he will keep them, he will guard them, and lose none of them. John 10, 28 and 29, the picture of the sheep and the shepherd. Let me begin in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I I and the Father are one. It's the picture, brothers and sisters, that when we come into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, It's as if we are in his very hand. And the guarding, the keeping is the promise that no one can snatch us out of that hand. The beauty of perseverance of the saints. Now please understand as we 
talk about the Reformed faith and we use the word tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, which a better word would be particular atonement. Okay? In other words, Jesus died only for those whom God had chosen. Beautiful quote from A.W. Pink's book, not a drop of Christ's blood was wasted. He saved for himself a people. Those people are drawn to him through what we call irresistible grace. And we will persevere. Perseverance of the saints. The picture that we live in the very hand of our Savior. And nothing can take us out of that. John 17. Here in the upper room as Christ is praying for these disciples. Judas has already been dismissed at this point. Jesus prays, beginning in verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. In other words, Christ is leaving. The disciples are still here. They will remain until the Lord calls them home. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, and you have given, which you have given me. I have guarded them. That's that word. And not one of them had been lost except the son of destruction. And of course the reference there is to Judas and his betrayal, which, as Jesus goes on, was foretold in the scripture. But the picture of that keeping, and look at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So the picture of the promise given was not just for the disciples who were there with Jesus Christ, but all of those through their ministries, and that's of which we are a part. So we are within that picture of being kept. So in the words of Jesus Christ that no one can be taken away from him. We are his. We are guarded. We are kept. Turn to Romans 8. The words of Paul. And we'll look at 28 and 29 of chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his beloved son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The picture 
of the security that is ours because we are kept. We are guarded. We are protected. Now, we see this so beautifully in the eyes of some of the saints of old. In the book of Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets, in chapter 3, you have a picture of a man who was a righteous man living in an unrighteous culture, and he was uh, upset because uh, God wasn't punishing Israel. You know, Israel was sinful. They were disobedient. They were in rebellion against God. And so God says, that I'm raising up the Chaldeans. I'm going to use them as the instrument of judgment. And Habakkuk responds, uh, Lord, that's not the answer I wanted. Uh, the Lord responds in terms of telling Habakkuk that when I'm finished with the Chaldeans, I'm going to take care of them. But you've got to know, I'm in sovereign control. And so you come to chapter 3 where Habakkuk bows the knee recognizing that. It wasn't the plan he wanted. And aren't we, aren't we a lot like that? You know, we, we want God to do things our way. And we get upset when he doesn't. Well, see, that was Habakkuk's issue. But, but here now in chapter 3, he, he, he recognizes uh, his frailty. His trust is in the Lord. Uh, beautiful description of all these things going on, uh, and yet you come to verse 16 uh, at the end of chapter 3. Listen to the man. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Okay. The man is not looking forward to what God has revealed to him. The man realizes the difficulty in the life in which he lives, and, and, and he's struggling. But he says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Not a beautiful picture. Okay? God's sovereign, right? God's going to protect us, right? God's going to guard us, right? Well, look how verse 18 starts. Yet, in other words, in spite of all this, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In spite of this, this man of God says, my trust is in the Lord. He struggled to get to that point, yeah. But he's saying there, Lord, I recognize that you're in control and I recognize that my trust is in you, not in external circumstances. You see the same thing in the book of Lamentations. Turn back to Lamentations chapter 3. book of Lamentations is right behind the uh, book of Jeremiah uh, because it was written by Jeremiah. 
And lamentations means what? A lament is what? Cry of sorrow. He's hurting. Okay, he goes through uh, uh, all of this, and then we come to uh, the end of the book, and Jeremiah writes, "Remember my." This is in verse 19. Excuse me. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is downcast within me. What's the picture of Jeremiah? I'm hurting. Verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In the midst of the struggles of life, Jeremiah was hurting. That's why he says, my soul was downcast within me. He's hurting. And yet he recognizes, as he says, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Well, what did he call to mind? Well, he obviously uh, knew the Scripture and the promises of Scripture. He obviously had lived long enough in the Lord to have experienced God's blessing. And so that when he comes to this challenging time, he is hurting, but he recalls to his mind, and therefore I have hope. What does he remember? Steadfast love of the Lord, loving kindness, faithfulness. The reality of the promise that Jude is giving to these people that he is able to keep you from stumbling is promise given to us through the scriptures. And so we need to rest secure in the scriptures. They're not only promises, but they're evidences that we have seen in our lives. The longer we live in the Lord, the longer we see how faithful he is. And these are things that in the midst of the struggles of life we remember and therefore we recall what we are to be and what we are to do. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We believe this was the last letter that Paul wrote. 2 Everything was easy for Paul too, right? Run out of town, beaten, stoned. And here, last letter that he writes, chapter 1, verse 12. Paul's talking about his suffering. And he's suffering because of his faithfulness to the Lord. But I am not ashamed, he says, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. 
the, the struggles of the reality of life. The Lord, Lord never says that everything's going to be a, uh, just a, uh, a primrose path, man, hunky-dory, no problems ever. No, life is filled with struggles. That's the reality of living as sinful people within a sinful world. That's life. That's the reality. Here again, the beauty of Psalms, a real person living in a real world facing real challenges. But it's in those, the midst of those challenges that we remember that it is this God who loves us and has called us to himself. He has made us his. And it's within the security of that, no matter what the circumstances that are, are our trust is not in the circumstances. Our trust is in whom? In the sovereign God of the universe who has called unto himself a people. And he's given those people life. And that we live in the very palm of his hand and can't be snatched out from that. Oh, the beauty. Now he is able to do what? To keep you from stumbling. Now, one of the things to keep in mind is he also uses his people within that context. You know, as we talk about David, uh, God after man's own heart, but uh, boy, he, he could be pretty scummy at times. And you know the story of Bathsheba, and he was in his sin, and he thought he'd covered that sin up, and he thought everything was, 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 was good even though he had committed even more sin in reference to trying to cover what he had done. Well, God raised up Nathan to come and to confront David, to drive him to his knees. This is the beauty of what we as the body of Christ are to be in the book of Galatians chapter 6. Paul says in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep, watching on, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. In other words, the body of Christ, we're part of the process that God uses to keep us. And the beauty of biblical church discipline is that it's done because of the love that we have for one another and our desire to help us all through this journey, the struggles. Keep you from stumbling. Secondly, he is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The picture here is that when we have to stand before the Lord, that we will be blameless. Is that because we did so well? The beautiful picture that we see here is of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he lived a perfect life, his act of obedience, he fulfilled what we could not fill. And that perfection is imputed to us, given to us, 
So that when God sees us, he sees us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sees us as these obedient children. This is fulfilled by his passive obedience as well as he hung upon Calvary's cross. As he shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sins. So that when we are washed in the blood... He doesn't see our sins. Turn to the book of Zechariah real quick. Zechariah chapter 3. You see the picture of a prophet called to him, called to the Lord. Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord was an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Whenever you have the definite article, the, that's the picture. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you in pure vestments. The picture of the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ being described within this vision of Zechariah. That here was the high priest. The high priest was the one who stood before God representing the people. And his filthy garments were taken away. His sin was taken away because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that when we stand in his presence... We are pure, just like Joshua was pure. To present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He keeps us. He prepares us for salvation. He is described at the end of Jude, verse 25, this is the third point. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, reference to the Trinity, be glory. These are accolades to describe the greatness of our God. This is the one in whom we trust. His glory his majesty, the particular Greek word that's used here for majesty, is, has a prefix that amplifies it. Majesty speaks in terms of greatness. This mega, at the, pre, the prefix mega, makes the, 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 describes the concept that he is greater than all. His dominion, he is sovereign, sovereign rule that has no end. His authority, 
he rules over all of creation. So with these four terms, Jude describes the awesomeness of God's work. It's glorious. It's majestic. It is powerful. It is his before all time. Well, that phrase speaks of even before time was created, who was in control. God's the one who brought time into existence at the beginning of creation. He's the same God yesterday as he is today, as he will be forever. That phrase, now and forever, not limited or bound by time, focuses upon the infinite future that is ours. Our God has made for himself a people. And our God calls those people together to serve, to worship, to live out the reality of their lives in the daily affairs of life. And it's a challenge, brothers and sisters. But in the midst of those challenges, please realize who it is who has made us his children. Never forget who it is who completed the work that we could not. It was Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who fulfilled God's plan to save for himself a people. This is the God that Jude describes. This is the God that we need to remember when worship is over and we've sung the hymns and had, had two great hymns by Isaac Watts, by the way. But then we have to go out into the real world. But that doesn't change the fact that it is God who keeps us, that it is God who has presented, who has prepared us to be presented before him. It is the God who is glorious, majestic, powerful, authoritative. Let's pray. Father, we do marvel at the beauty of your grace, what you've done for us, to us, and through us. Oh, Lord, prepare us as we leave that we might be faithful servants of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.